Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. have Renton to speak, to wrap things up and talk about failure. (laughs) Um, Renton is, again, a dear friend of mine, and he uh, is an elder here at Trinity Presbyterian Church. He is also the uh, director of the Center for Christian Worldview, right? Is that what it's called? Biblical, Biblical Worldview. And uh, that is a new work that's gotten going at Bob Jones University, and he heads that, that up. And um, so thankful both for his friendship and for what he's going to say this afternoon. Okay. I, uh, working at Bob Jones, I have this, uh, I have an office there, and of course, um, because it's a campus at a university, you have to have what's called an I love me wall. And on the I love me wall, you have all your degrees plastered all over so everyone can see how amazing you are and how important you are. Um... And, uh, you know, I started my marriage in, in school, um, working on degrees, and went through, like, 95% of my marriage, 99% of my marriage working on some kind of degree to the point where I graduated in 2001 with the latest degree. Let me rephrase that, last <laughs> degree. I want to stay married. Um, now, typically, an I love me wall uh, involves a certain degree of pride, so everyone can see how many degrees you have and from what institutions and whether they're regionally accredited and um, how high your degrees have gone and in what and how important all those things are. Um, when I look at those, um, my typical thought whenever I walk by that wall is a testimony to my failure. Um, When my wife and I first got married, we thought we were going to have a hundred kids because uh, over a very um, short conversation, we decided to start having kids very soon after we were married, so we started to try to have kids, and um, fairly quickly, compared to most, uh, we got pregnant. And we thought, well, this is easy, and uh, we'll have a ton of these. Um, Daniel, my oldest son, came in uh, the year 2000, Uh, was born in, uh, in Minnesota, and uh and so we, we just thought we'd have a ton of kids, and he came, and we could not have more children. Uh, the Lord just said no. Um, we eventually, uh, later on, uh, 
began to foster kids, and then we fostered our first group, and now there are adopted children. So I have a 22-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a 7-year-old, and I learned very quickly why young people have children. It's an important uh, principle. <laughs> but um, throughout our time with Daniel, um, I found myself in a constant state of failing my son. I was in the state in which I wanted to find out who I was and uh, who I was going to be. Was I going to be someone that uh, teaches theater at a college? Am I going to be a person that teaches English? Am I going to be the person that uh, starts pursuing philosophy? Am I going to be a seminary guy? Um, and I dragged my family through a living hell so that I can figure out who I was. Um, and I uh, come before you not saying that I have, you know, failed and figured it out, and so I'm here to give you your tips. <laughs> but I can tell you this. Um, when it comes to failure and being someone that fails his family, I want you to know that there's hope, and that's what I hope that we can figure out today. I want to give you a tale of two fathers. We're going to start uh, out of order, so if you're a seminary student, uh, you're going to have to get over it. Uh, we're going to start with Eli, and then we're going to end with Aaron. But we're talking, we're going to talk about priests. Uh, pastors, kids, right? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> okay. So, uh, <laughs> I guess if I don't entertain myself, who's going to do it, right? Um, so, Eli. I want to start with Eli. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 2. 1 Samuel 2. Uh, many of you have young children, and it feels like when they're young, uh, especially when they're toddlers or before the age of 10 for sure, they seem super uh, manageable. Now, you might not feel that way at first, but uh, pain is helpful, and so uh, they tend to fear pain, you threaten with the pain or follow through with the pain, and they tend to do what you say. Eventually, they become teenagers. And then spaking gets really, uh, becomes a gray area when you stop doing that and what you do instead. And, and then they get in their 20s. And uh, yeah, I mean, they keep growing. It's very bizarre. It's, it's, uh, and it's part of, uh, part of the work that I felt I was doing right, which was keeping them under control. And so uh, I was very big on making sure that they obeyed. Obedience was important. Um, I was really good at that, I felt. And when I saw people's teenagers get out of control, back when Daniel was a... Uh, was just a little 
little guy. I would see other people's kids who were teenagers get out of control. I'm like, oh, man, those, those people don't know how to raise a kid. I know how to raise a kid. I mean, look, my three-year-old obeys what I say. And when he's 13, he'll still obey, right? Um, so what I want to talk to you today about, those of you that have younger children, they do grow, and they end up becoming adults. What doesn't happen is you, you never feel like they're no longer your children. Um, in fact, you feel more and more like their parent the older they get because you see the mistakes you've made living out before you. Eli had adult children. Um, if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, starting with verse 12, this is the Bible's description of Eli's children. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. How would you like your children to be described by inspiration as worthless men? It continues, they did not know the Lord and the custom of the priests with the people. And it goes into what, they, what this means about that they didn't know the custom of the priests with the people, um, giving some uh, examples of what happened. One of them is when, uh, when any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in the hand, then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would be able to take for himself. And this is how it was supposed to go. But Eli's children, Eli's sons, wanted all of the meat, wanted it raw, didn't even want it boiled yet, and insisted from people that they give them what they want. They were greedy, worthless men. And as we read this, um, it even goes into, if you look at verse 22, when Eli confronts them, Eli confronts them not necessarily because of the meat thing, but he had heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting basically at the door of the church. Now we look at this as it's talking about Eli's son and we're immediately disgusted by these two young, these two young men. We're disgusted that they're worthless. We're disgusted that they're greedy and want to fill their bellies to the point where they're willing to not just diminish, but to... Um, almost ridicule the sacrifice that's meant for God and mean it for themselves, down to their debauchery of sleeping with women um, and using women in this way when they're supposed to be priests. And it's easy for us to look at that and say, yeah, these guys were jerks. They need to die. And they do. I didn't want to spoil alert there, but uh, they die. Um, and, uh, and it's easy for us to see that's good. They're terrible. But what does Eli see when he sees those two young men, Hophni and Phinehas? 
What, is it, what does he see? He probably sees one of them favoring his mother. Probably one of them he remembers holding on his lap and them burping up on, his, on him at some point, him having a laugh about it with his wife. He remembers probably um, the way they were so obedient when they were little kids. He probably remembers holding his kids and thinking about how they're going to grow up and be great men of God one day and continue in the priesthood like his dad. He's probably thinking when he sees these two young men, he's probably remembering all that they used to be and what they could have been. Um, those of you with adult children, have you ever, this is an evil thing that Apple has done. Um, it takes your photos, puts them together in this beautiful little montage with music behind it, just in case it wasn't emotional enough. And the demons put all this together, and you go to your phone, and it just starts playing. And you're like, what's this? Oh, oh, I remember that. And pretty soon you're staring at your phone for hours, remembering your kids when they were young and cute. And uh, anyway, what you think about is not the, you know, the issues they're going through right now, not the drama they're going through right now, but you look at those pictures and you remember everything you're hoping for them. You remember what you were going through at the time. Some pictures help you remember that you don't even remember that picture because you weren't there. And so this is what Eli sees. Eli sees young men that are his children, that he loves. And God is furious with them. Eli recognizes this, and in verse 22, he goes to them. He, he knows that they've been sleeping with these women, and he, says that, um, he said to them, Why do you do such things? The evil things that I hear from all the people. No, my sons, for the report is not good which I hear the Lord um, which I hear the Lord people uh, the Lord's people circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? This is a Hebrew way of making a statement with a question. You'll see this all throughout. Hebrew writing. Um, the question is actually to make a statement. If you sin against the Lord, no one will mediate. He will destroy you. And the next sentence might sound familiar to some of us. But they would not listen to the voice of their father. Now the next statement's even more devastating. For the Lord desired to put them to death. Long before Eli could reach his children with an exhortation, they had already committed acts that the Lord would not forgive. 
and that repentance would not be possible because the Lord was seeking to destroy them. As we go into 1 Samuel 4, I want you to look at verse 11. Um, Israel falls to the Philistines, and the ark of God was taken. And this is just given just a, we don't even know how it happened necessarily other than this little, this little independent clause. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Most of the line, uh, most of the room is then given to the announcement of their death to Eli. It's almost as if that's almost unimportant or at least less important than the scene where we see someone coming to Eli to tell him the news. Now a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he came, behold, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road, eagerly watching because his heart was trembling for the ark of God. So the man came to tell it in the city, and all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, What does the noise of this commotion mean? Then the man came hurriedly and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were, were set so that he could not see. The man said to Eli, I am the one who came from the battle line. Indeed, I escaped from the battle line today. And he said, and he said, how did these things go, my son? Then the one who brought the news replied, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there um, has also been a great slaughter among the people, and your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark has been taken. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell off the, back, uh, fell off the seat backwards beside the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for he was old and heavy. Thus he judged Israel for 40 years. So this is father number one we want to talk about. Father number one failed his children, and then he was severely punished. In his mourning of the ark and his children, he falls back and dies. When we see that he has failed his children, what we see is a man that failed his children because the thing that God calls holy, his children did not see as holy. Holiness became the issue that brought his children to death because that, uh, those, those processes that were told how a priest is to do things all the way down to a three-pronged fork and how much meat you are to have and how you are to stay pure are all things that the priests were to know because God is holy. 
And all these things are done for the sake of God's holiness. And these men did not care about God's holiness. And when Eli finally told them and confronted them, they were already at the point where God's holiness no longer mattered. And it was God's, um, God had set his mind to destroy them. He fails his children, he's severely punished, and he falls back and dies. I want you to look at another father. Um, Look at Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. I want to look at Aaron and his children. going to start at verse 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their prospective fire pans, and after putting, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord has has spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. So Aaron, therefore, Kept silent. Goes on to say how Moses tells um, Aaron's nephews to go in and take the bodies and drag the dead bodies out of the camp. Not just out of the, the tabernacle, but out of the camp itself. Moses then tells uh, Aaron and his two other sons. Not to mourn yet. And they don't, and they obey. I want you to see what Aaron sees. When he sees Nadab and Abihu, he sees his boys. He sees his boys that he remembers when they were kids. He remembers when they were young, what they might become, who they might be, what kind of a family they might have one day. And they were becoming that. We're not told why they... uh, why they did not take fire from the altar, but instead took on their own fire into uh, the holy place. And this angered the Lord because they did not follow the holy ritual that was told for them and they were burned alive and killed. What would you think as a parent? We all make mistakes. Isn't this a learning moment for my children? Couldn't the Lord have made this a learning moment 
frightened them a little bit and they would have sobered up. I know my kids, I know my sons, if they just would have been frightened a little, they would have sobered up, they would have seen it. Why did they have to be destroyed? And in such a violent way. And then why were their bodies, why did their bodies have to be dragged out beyond the camp? You understand the camp would circle around the temple or the tabernacle so that they could be near the presence of God and equally in a kind of equal distance away from the presence of God because that's where the blessing was. They weren't dragged out just out of the tabernacle, but they were put beyond the camp, out into the darkness. How would you, th- how would you view this moment? How would you view the moment when you saw your children in cinders who were alive that morning, are gone now? And then Moses said to Aaron, I'm so sorry this happened to you. He doesn't say that, does he? Moses said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke. And he defends the Lord's holiness. I want you to notice Aaron's response. So Aaron, therefore, kept silent. He did what he knew he had to do in obedience to the Lord, and he listened to the Lord. Somewhere along the line, and we don't understand the whole story, but somewhere along the line, these two young men failed to either know or failed to care about the process necessary to demonstrate that God was holy. And Aaron failed his children. Aaron was severely punished because his children were killed. But Aaron didn't just fall back and die. He stayed silent. He kept his protest silent. He listened and he obeyed. And what we see him doing is pursuing holiness trying to be holy as God is holy. I'm not going, um, this isn't a super long, long talk. But I want you to understand this three-step process of what might happen to some of us in this room. For some of us in this room, we might come to a place where we see our children fail in a way that demonstrates our own failure. We might come to a place where we see our children that fall into sin. We might even have children that may not have even been saved. And we say, I failed my children. And I'll tell you, there's nothing more of a punishment than watching your children depart from the Lord. Young people don't understand the depth and breadth of pain that comes to the parents when they buy in 
to the stupidity of this world and the shallowness of their independence and uniqueness, which is neither independent nor unique. When I look at my own life, I see someone that... I see myself failing my children when I am trying to demonstrate holiness to them. There is a sense in which disciplining your children is part of keeping them holy and demonstrating holiness, but how do your children view holiness in your discipline? Do they see holiness as that which keeps daddy from being annoyed? When they see something in scripture like this, did they think because of what they saw at home with dad, do they think that God himself was annoyed at these, at these young men and so he killed them? Because at home, when dad gets upset and annoyed at me, that's when I feel his wrath. I sometimes wonder if I taught my son that holiness is when I am inconvenienced or upset because I wasn't given my due respect? Or has my son seen, seen me love God's holiness? Have I stopped training my child to note God's holiness and help him see that I love God's holiness? And how does this happen? I have, you know, with adult, with adult children, you see them do the things that you have permitted in your own life. It's part of what makes you even more angry when you see them do it as adult children because you recognize it in your own life. Have I been clear that you don't make daddy upset, but I have not been clear that when daddy gets upset, he doesn't know how to respect God's name. Or when daddy's upset, he doesn't know how to love his neighbor or his enemy. Am I training my children to love God's holiness and how do they view that holiness? Have I trained them to hate their sin and to try and kill their sin? Or have they seen daddy indulge in his sin and then get mad when they do it? How have we failed our children? Have we been severely punished? Have we had to watch our children re reject the Lord? Have we had to watch our children enter into relationships we know will destroy them? Have we had to watch our children reject our warnings? Have we watched them provoke the Lord? How have we been severely punished? When we look at these two fathers, we see... One father, both fathers going through these two issues. And they may have failed on different levels with different depths. 
Eli, I think, is much more of a failure than Aaron. But failure is there. But the question is that third part, what to do next? Do we accept failure and shake our head at our children, say, well, that one didn't turn out? There's nothing we can do now. We have nothing more to do than fall back and let our, our heavy bodies break our necks. Or are we like Aaron, where after we see how harsh um, our sin can be and how holy our God can be, we are silent before the Lord. Do we fear our Lord more than we fear our children's suffering? Are we mourning our children's suffering more than we mourn their sin? Are we listening to God? In other words, have we done the work it takes to do the thing that, you know, there's three answers in Sunday school, isn't there? Uh, the Bible is, a, is, always, is a, usually a good answer. Pray and Jesus. If you have those three, you can make it through Sunday school pretty well. What's amazing about that are those are the three things that haunt you even into your 50s. Where we know these things, we know we're supposed to pray for our family. And a week goes by and we get to Saturday and we think, when did I pray for my son? When did I pray for my daughter? When did I look in God's word to hear what he had to say and sit quietly before my God as he speaks to me in his word? And I know what happens, especially to men. What we do is we understand that we are hypocrites. We understand that we have failed. And to move forward means to be more of a hypocrite and to fail even more, and so we don't. For some of you, you don't know this yet, but as your children grow older and they become adults, it will be harder for you to engage them. It will be harder for you to touch them. It will be harder for you to move forward when they fail. And because of this, because we don't want to feel like a hypocrite, because we already feel like failures, we say, no, I'm not going to continue to pursue the holy, holiness with my children anymore. They've decided to do what they're going to do, and that's all I can do. What we have to do, if, if you are a father here today and you feel that you are a failure, and you feel that this this feeling of being a failure or the actual work that you've done in your life that has constantly failed your, your family is a reason to not lead, to not pursue God's holiness. I want you to think about Aaron, 
who was severely punished, but then went silent before the Lord to listen to what the Lord had to say. And the Lord never apologized, by the way. The Lord did not go to him and say, you know, I know this was hard, but I had to do it. Instead, he said, hey, um, from now on, no one drinks when they go into my tabernacle because I don't want anyone being drunk. They need to know, they need to have a clear mind when they go in there. That was what God said to Aaron after he killed his children. Are you so concerned with God's holiness that despite your hypocrisy, you pursue God's holiness? Despite your failures, whether they be past or whether they be present failures, you pursue God's holiness. Despite your fatigue, you pursue God's holiness. Despite your culture, you pursue God's holiness. Despite your weakness, you pursue God's holiness. And this pursuit begins with a killing and a hatred for your sin. And that's the negative side, but a love for God's righteousness. And we have so accumulated in our hypocrisy the the stacking of the deck with our children where holiness sounds like Phariseeism now, where holiness sounds like just anger. What we don't teach our children, what I have failed with my children is that I haven't taught them how to love God's holiness. I, was, I have not been an encouragement to my children. I have laid down the law and what they know of holiness is the violence of holiness when they do sin, but they have not learned the encouragement and joy of holiness because that's who our God is. I say this not because I'm trying to demonstrate some humility so that you guys will then apply it to your heart. I'm saying this because it's true. I haven't been doing it. I have had the illusion of control. But any of you that have teenagers know the illusion of control disappears real quick once they turn 12, sometimes before that. And you realize it is just an illusion. Have we taught them how to love God's holiness? Um, so where do I go from here? I suppose I could just not be a hypocrite and just kind of not move. For those ladies out there, you, uh, you may not understand this about men, but men tend to freeze. Men know what the right thing to do is, um, but moving forward often means sacrificing something, feeling like a complete hypocrite, and so we don't move forward. And so how do we move forward as men when we feel that we have failures in our fatherhood? We move forward as men 
obeying by listening to our Lord, we are not silent before the Lord enough. I am not silent before the Lord enough because I have a job that fills me with cares and is, uh, just consumes every stinking second of my life and I feel like I don't have the time to sit silent before the Lord and listen to his word. But I do have time, don't I? Right, men? We do have time. No matter how busy our job is, no matter how busy we think we are during the week, if we're honest with, our, with ourselves, we do have the time. I feel like I don't have the time to sit and pray over my children. I can do it while I'm walking somewhere, and that's good enough. I don't have to take time out to sit and pray. Surely I'm not, uh, I'm not expected to take an hour, maybe that's too much, maybe a half hour, well, maybe 15 minutes. And we just don't do it. But we do have time. We do have time. I look at my day, and I do have time. My hope for you is what my hope for me is. That I actually do the work it takes to sit with my Bible and listen silently to what the Lord has to say to me in his word to take a nice big chunk out of the day for prayer. And I have to give something up that doesn't get done and someone's going to be disappointed. And I'm going to do that because I love my children. And I love my wife. And that's where love starts. I, we always say how much we love our family when it is of convenience to do so. But when it comes time to do the work of loving God's holiness before them, where we show them how to carve time out of the day before our God and to beg him to help us with our children. You know what's really humiliating for me? Is that every time I have actually done that, and it's been super sporadic but every time I have taken time out to pray to the Lord about my son and about my other children the Lord has actually worked and I've seen it happen and you know what I did the next day I didn't pray for weeks about them And then something, then they would do, you know, one of them would do some horrible thing. It would scare me to death. And back on my knees I go. And the Lord does something. And then I just don't go back. Many of us know what I'm talking about. And when you really think about it, you have to admit, maybe I'm a bad father. And I think I am. But we can move forward. We don't have to fall back on our backs and break our necks. We can move forward. And my uh, hope for all of us 
is this week we start doing something, the most important thing we can do for our family. And you disappoint someone on Monday and tell them, I didn't get to that thing because I, I carved out some time to pray over my family and to read God's word. And if you have to disappoint someone, do it. Do it with a smile. Because I'm going to disappoint someone on Monday. I don't know who it is yet, but somebody is, because I've got to take time to do this. And I hope that's what we do. Let, the, let today be an, um, an evening where we repent of our sins so we're ready for a communion tomorrow. And let Monday be the day of disappointing one of our colleagues so we can help our families. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you praying that you can give us the help and the hope of being able to sit quietly before you and listen to your commands. That through the work of your Holy Spirit in our heart, we might be able to move forward in our work with our family. That we might be able to be able to learn how to beg you for help. And learn with, with even using your word, being able to speak to you with your own word, holding you to your promises, and doing it with a clean heart. Lord, I pray that you give us all courage and stamina and help that we might do this for your honor and your glory. Lord God, help us to teach our children not only the negative consequences of, of not taking your holiness seriously, but Lord, help us to teach our children how to love your holiness how to celebrate, and Lord, even enjoy your holiness. Lord, give us the help that we need. Lord, give us friends to hold us accountable. Lord, let us be able to humble ourselves and love our neighbor and love our brother. That we might not try and do this alone, but Lord, with the men that you've given us in our lives. And Lord, help us. Lord, help us to actually do these things. Lord, let us not walk away from this place inspired, but unmoved. But Lord, help us to move. Help us to pursue your holiness, Lord. And let nothing keep us from that pursuit. And give us the grace to do it. Lord, we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.